So welcome listeners to a new episode of the Case Podcast, another conversation about software engineering. I'm extremely happy to have Christine Gorman as my guest today. Hi, Christine. Hello. Nice to be here. <laughs> it's awesome to have you on the show. Can you start by introducing yourself? Right. Well, my name is uh, Christine Gorman. I am a Norwegian, or I'm half American technically, I guess, but I'm a Norwegian developer. So I've been working, uh, doing programming for 20 years now. I'm getting really old. Um, I'm currently working as a contractor for a small company called Kodemaki. So we uh, go out and help customers build software. So, uh, but yeah, I'm hands-on writing software. That's all I've ever done really professionally. Very cool. Okay, so when we when we decided about uh, what to talk about in this episode, we we spent some time with the title and then settled on why large projects fail and what to do about it. <laughs> so maybe we can start by defining what kind of projects it is that we're talking about here. What what kind of projects do you do, and why do you think some of them are uh, good candidates for a conversation like this one? Yes. Well, I mean, I guess I can uh, you know. Uh touch on basically your last question, why do I even care about this? And why is this something that I rant about at length? Um, I, I, you know, I started off my first jobs was working for, you know, small companies and startups. And I was like the only developer or one of two. Um, and we'd have a very natural kind of progression that we, we, you know, we'd have to focus on what was most important to do and what our users needed. And we had to deliver or we'd go out of business basically. So that was my, that was how I started working. Uh, and then I progressively started working for larger and larger companies. Um, so I went from that into, um, and I worked for, um, uh, I was in the oil industry to start with, and I, I worked for um, uh, Slumberjay and Western Geco. So that's a much larger organization, but it's still a product development company. And then I went from there um, to my first public sector um, project in 2010. And I was, you know, after 10 years, of working, you know, either as a startup trying to, you know, get things working or in a product development organization, trying to just, you know, working on, on, um, on problems, uh, being met with the level of inefficiency <laughs> that I was met with when I tried to do something in the public se sector was just astounding to me. You know, I was, I had, was surrounded by the most intelligent, wonderful people who were very technically competent and also just, you know, just nice people. I have nothing bad to say about the people in my team, but we were in a, we were just unable to work effectively and to deliver what the customers actually needed. So that's kind of been the trigger for me was to, to after, you know, 10 years of working more or less sensibly, I, you know, I, I was always complaining, of course, you know, cause that's kind of my nature. I'm always, <laughs> always <laughs> want to do things better, but it, it was a real shock to just see, you know, how, um, how badly things can go. And it really opened my eyes to why I'd been hearing all these years that, oh, wow, you, you know, you guys are working so fast and this is amazing. And I was like, well, this is normal, isn't it? You know? And uh, so for me, it's, um, well, you know, what I, what I've been ranting about is these, these large um, contracts that, the, that, you know, large organizations set out, they have this, they have this predefined, you know, uh, requirement specification, like we, we're going to, you know, save the world. We're going to do this uh, amazingly big project and you put it out to tender. And then you have this, you know, enormous team of lots of, lots of people trying to solve kind of everything for, uh, for this customer. So, um, that's been primarily the, the kind of projects that I've been trying to argue again, or, you know, just to, you know, <laughs> try to inform people of better ways of working. So, uh, mm -hmm. So, but, you know, like uh, recently we have uh, the, in the public sector in Norway, for instance, there's, uh, there's been lots of controversy reason, re, uh, recently about um, this healthcare platform project, you know, and there have been, I know there was one in the UK uh, like 10 years ago or whatever, where they spent, you know, what was it 10 billion pounds or something? And then for, for this huge healthcare platform that didn't even work, <laughs> they had to do something mm -hmm. else. Um, you know, things like that. We don't have know. those kinds of projects in Germany, right? In <laughs> Germany, everything always runs on time and just, you know, on schedule. There's never anything no. <laughs> like, never has anything like that happened around here. Okay. So, so, um, I, I think this is going to be an interesting episode because one of the things that I really enjoyed was that you complained very entertainingly when, when, when I saw you do a presentation on, on many of these topics. So I'm, I'm really interested in diving into more detail here. And I also share a bit of that history. I had the same feeling like being surrounded and that resonates with me very strongly so being surrounded by awesome super smart people who only want the best right they're all 
motivated. They all want to do good things, but they completely fail at doing it for some strange reason. So let's let's try to figure that out and maybe then maybe try to, to define or to find a few ways out of that out of that hole once if, if you if you find yourself in it. So uh, let's talk about the projects. Uh, uh, why do they go wrong? I mean, what are some of the most common problems? I think you hinted at some, but maybe we can go into more detail about what that. Well, I, I think you know one of the um, one of the problems is that uh, you know it's just our our human lack of you know we we are very limited in what we are able to even you know uh, conceive of in our small brains. You know, so I mean, there's there's a limited amount of complexity that we are capable of. of uh, dealing with, you know, and as Einstein said, you know, you, you have to make things as simple as possible, but not simpler, you know, and that is invariably what happens when we try to kind of bite, bite off too much. When we try to solve too many problems or to take on too much, we have to simplify that to, to be able to kind of deal with uh, what we're going to do. We have to simplify things too much. So then, you know, necessary complexity has to be thrown out the window. You know, and we end up with these, uh, you know, these, you know, like like um, in the computer terms, you have these systems where you have like tons of uh, menu items and tons of input text boxes, you know, that are uh, that are only there because like someone else needs them, you know. So you have this, uh, but but then text boxes you need for your job aren't even there because they've they've been simplified away. So I mean, there's this. You know, we need to just realize at the outset that we just cannot process, you know, that much at a time. We have to break things down. So I think, like, I think we're just too ambitious. We don't realize our mm -hmm. own limitations, you know, we have, especially when you're in charge of a large organization, you think, well, you know, let's, let's solve the organization as this one thing that we can, that is solvable, but it, it's just, it's just too much. So we, uh, we need to mm -hmm. realize that we just cannot do that. We have to, we have to break things into smaller pieces for uh, for it to yeah <laughs> so but doesn't that sound well it seems like a kind of kind of an obvious thing to say right i mean i have this i have this uh, this huge problem so i i, I subdivide it into into more simpler problems so that i can solve each of them in turn mm -hmm. why don't why doesn't everybody see it that way why do people want to do those large things yeah, I know that. I mean, uh, to me, you know, you know, especially, you know, when we're working with software, I think, you know, we know how quickly thing complexity just runs completely out of hand, you know, because we have to deal with the nitty gritty details. I think for, for developers, it should be a lot easier to realize the inherent necessity of breaking things into smaller components. But I think like for, you know, when you're, uh, you know, lots of the people, or at least in my experience, I mean, the, the projects that go wrong have been decided upon by people who have no idea about this, you know, and they, they mm -hmm. work at a completely different abstraction level. So for them, you know, it is just one problem, you know, it is just, you know, we need to handle health journal information, you know, that is one thing to them, you know, they don't see all the details and they don't have this inherent understanding of how extremely complex that necessarily becomes if you want to support every possible user group. So, I mean, again, like people see things from their perspective. If you're the top manager from, for this company, you have a simplified view of all the things beneath you. And you're going to see that as this is my company, you know, and then you want a solution for your company, you know, and you want something that's easy for you to understand. Um, and, uh, mm -hmm. but very often, I mean, the problems arise, you know, when, when the people who decide what to make <laughs> are not the same people who are the ones who are going to use what's being made, you know, then, then, uh, yeah, that's where problems start. And the farther those two groups are away from each other, the more problems you end up with. Mm -hmm. so, so I think the first thing you hinted at was uh, reminds me of the saying that uh, all things look very similar to each other from up here in the ivory tower, right? If you're <laughs> if you're far if you're far enough away from stuff, then it looks as if it's exactly the same thing. You have yeah. to get closer to find out. Well, these things, I mean, they both they both look kind of similar, but they're really very 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 different. And if you try to solve them with the same solution, you're going to end up with a lot with lots of extra complexity. Mm. So the the well-meaning idea of simplifying things or or building them once instead of twice actually leads to something that is 10 times as large and doesn't solve the two problems uh, as well as two separate solutions would have that is a i think a very a very common thing so i completely agree on that yeah. um is it also a is it also a matter of uh people's 
status or of, of manager's background? How, how much of a human thing is it to want those large things, those large projects? Yeah, I'm sure there are all sorts of drivers, of course. You know, if you're this project manager, there's far more prestige in having led this, you know, platform that revolutionized the healthcare industry or, you know, whatever. I mean, of course, <laughs> there's far more far more prestige to be uh, to be in charge of that rather than saying, you know what, I'm going to work on this, you know, this particular application that helps nurses with it in nursing homes. You know, that's not as prestigious. So there's definitely that. But um, also another, you know, huge problem is, you know, so much of, you know, people in management, you know, they, they, you know, have lots of, um, you know, there's uh, the management schools and whatever. They have a, you know, proud history and a long history and lots of, you know, very good, <laughs> very good educational programs, I'm sure. That, teaches pe that teach people to manage, you know, physical projects. So I think lots of project management ideology comes from uh, managing construction of bridges, for instance, you know, and uh, which is a completely different thing. You know, when you construct a bridge, you, you can't, you're building with physical things. You can't build a bridge halfway and then say, oh, well, you know what, it should have been, you know, five meters to the left. You know, that obviously doesn't work, right? You have to, so you have to have these long planning phases where you just draw and you have nothing physical. And then when you're done with that, then you move on to the implementation phase, you know, and then, and I think, you know, this causes so many, so many problems when that is kind of try, when you try to do that within software and you have this idea that you can sit in meetings with the users and, um, and business people and write post-it notes and uh, make, you know, all these requirement specifications, you ask the users what they need, um, and then, and then you, you know, so you spend years and years doing all of that, building up this, now we're going to solve everything. And then you say, right, okay, here, technical people implement this, <laughs> you know, this hmm. is, an, you know, a recipe for disaster. So, and, you know, we can talk more about why that is. And I, you know, I think we as software people know, um, you know, <laughs> how, you know, why that's a bad idea, but I, you know, this, um, yeah, the, the fact that so many managers kind of have this old school mentality of, of you know, managing completely different things uh, causes large, large problems, as well as the prestige element. But I mean, what you're saying, isn't what you're saying just, well, we should all be doing agile software development and our problems will be solved? Yeah, well, in a way, I guess I am, you know, uh, but uh, and the, what, I, what I find immensely frustrating, you know, over these last 10 years, because it's been, you know, been... How long has it been since the Agile Manifesto came out? That's like 20 oh, years, 20, 20 years, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> and, know. Uh, Let me check. you know, but, but Agile, the word Agile is just a joke now in Agile, you know, uh, because, you know, it's been taken over by people who, who just, you know, use, they use the word and they think using the word solves the problem, you know, and the, the you know, I, I can't, I can't, I've lost count of the, the amount of times that, that I've been, um, <laughs> that I've, that I've said that we need to use, you know, we need to work in an agile manner. We need to kind of iterate and we need to, you know, get feedback from actual users to drive the process, you know, and then people say, yeah, but you can, yes, you can do that in the implementation phase. <laughs> you know, <and> that's like, <laughs> oh, for goodness sake, you know, so it's like every, everyone agrees that we have to be agile, but, but, you know, using that word doesn't really solve the problem. You have to understand what the word, you know, what the word was meant to be, you know, at the outset, at least, because, um, mm -hmm. Yes, I mean, we don't have the same limitations within within software. That's, you know, both um, a blessing and a curse, I guess, is that we, you know, we can build the bridge. We can build this tiny little, you know, uh, string rope bridge. Uh, and then we can expand that over into a motorway as we go along. We can move where it goes. We don't have those same physical limitations that they do in these physical projects. So, um you know, mm -hmm. just not taking advantage of that fact is nuts. You know, we can actually get started right away and actually, you know, build something quickly, test it, validate it. Do users actually need this? And if they do, we can build on it. We can change it. Um, you know, we mm -hmm. don't need this like massive process where, you know, everything has to be decided upon up front. Um, and that, mm -hmm. that's a, another driver that I just uh, thought about for these, um, this complexity. Is that so? Because users have gotten used to this thing that when they first get software, uh, nothing changes for decades. You know, so they know that if they're going to get a new system, they'd better think of everything. You know, because they know that they're not going to get any updates after that. You know, so they're desperate to pour in every little bit of uh, functionality that they can possibly think of. Um, so the the specification for what you have to build just grows and grows and grows. 
Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So how much of a problem do you think it is that it's often not the users, but rather somebody who represents or is supposed to represent the users? Um, I think you mentioned this, you know, this distance between the people who sort of uh, who sort of uh, have the responsibility for building the software and the ones who actually use it. Is that a, is that part of the problem as well? Yeah, well, definitely part of the problem. And I think, uh, you know, I've, uh, you know, so much of my time has been spent like, you know, can I actually, <laughs> can we actually speak to the users? So it's not, it's not, you know, the, the users, firstly, they are often separated in time from the development phase. So they are asked by business people like five years before the development even starts, you know, <laughs> so, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we really need to get, you know, that is, uh, you know, so essential to just get more, you know, more direct you know, that they can, that they can talk to the people in charge of actually building stuff while they are building it, you know, so you can get like the actual same uh, functioning feedback loop. Mm -hmm. So what's been, what, what has your experience been? Does, does it, well, if you get access to the users, do they actually work with the team or are they reluctant to do that? Yeah, well, I mean, that's a, yeah, another big problem, of course, is most, most users, they have a day-to-day job. You know, their job is to actually do the work that you are trying to kind of help them uh, do better with new software. So uh, that's, a, you know, a big problem is, of course, that they don't have, you know, they uh, just, they have time to set aside to, um, to um, you know, to give you the feedback that you need. Um, and also most mm-hmm. users, they are, you know, very often, you know, many, well, depending on the, what you're trying to make, but many users, of course, they're not very familiar with computer systems and they hate the idea of software changing all the time. They find that immensely frustrating, you know? So there's this uh, conflict between, you know, if you ask the users what they want, they will say, just give me something that works, you know? Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and, and of course, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. If I could telepathically understand what, <laughs> what the users would want and, uh, and just, you know, understand fully what their day-to-day, you know, problems are, uh, that would be the best thing to do. But the only way for me or, you know, a, a developer or whatever to really be able to understand what is actually needed, we have to have a, a running conversation and, you know, to try and and fail a lot. You know, that's a, I feel like, you know, half the stuff you do ends up being, you know, based on a misunderstanding, you know, so... Uh, but, um, but yeah, no, for users, that's uh, very often, you can't just ask the user what they want, because very often when you give it to them, they will then realize that, oh, well, that's actually, that doesn't work at all, you know, because of this or that or the other thing. It's very hard mm-hmm. for both the users and developers to really fully understand the consequences of what you're, you know, what you're going to be, what you're going to be building and what kind of problems it will be mm-hmm. solving. So, um mm-hmm. So, so we've we've made good experience with uh, with paper prototypes and with early things that give the give users some idea of what it is that we think we should be building, and they can tell us, well, that is a stupid idea. I can't use it like that. And it, of course, it helps a lot if you do that before you start, you know, even building that first uh, implementation that they can actually use. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you've experienced as well? Is that something that you've used this this approach? Yeah, no, I think that's that's absolutely yeah. The, I mean, just anything you can anything you can do to get feedback. Um, but I think also that very often that I see that people use that kind of approach, um, to, <laughs> to kind of keep the developers at bay, you know, that there's, like, oh, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll just use, you'll, we'll use some paper prototypes, you know, we'll, we'll do user testing with our, you know, our mock-ups and whatever. Uh, and therefore you, the developers don't need to be involved mm. with the users oh, okay. at all because we have, you know, so mm-hmm. that's a, that's an issue that, that I see a lot that, you know, I think it's fantastic to, to, you know, use mock-ups and whatever. But the amount of issues that arise once you start trying to actually write code to support the paper mockups, you know, it's essential that you really, you know, get to those as quickly as possible. Because I mean, there are, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many things that so many things that can go wrong, and so many things that you don't think of that only appear once you actually try to code it. Yeah, you know, then you're completely like, oh, you know. yes. Yes, I think maybe that maybe the value in those prototypes is to figure out what you shouldn't be building. <laughs> more than what you should be, right? I mean, you've tried this and this this fails even at this level, right? I mean, the, they see for the first time, they can they can imagine that this is what it would be like and they tell you, well, that is not something that I need, yeah. right? I need something completely different. That's a very valuable information, right? Absolutely. But I completely agree that you have to actually, you know, I mean, even even for, for a developer, even if you if you pride yourself in your in your mental skills and all of your knowledge of computer systems, you figure out things once you actually build stuff, right? Once yeah. you once you have to build it completely, you figure out. Oh, well, I haven't never thought about this particular corner case. What do mm. I do here? And then you, yeah. it's, it helps the developers as much as as it helps the users to actually build things and, and get feedback from that. Yeah. 
completely agree with that. Yes. And I also think that okay. it's you know that that it it makes sense to have you know developers involved even if they're not making the prototypes, but at least keep them in the loop because uh, just uh, mm -hmm. you know uh, so so much time is wasted often by you know developers coming up with ideas that have already been tested, you know, and then you end up discussing things over and over and over and over again. This is, uh, you know, it's just uh, process-wise. It makes sense to have everyone involved as much as possible, um, even though they're not, um, even though developers aren't part of the, you know, early prototyping stages, just having having some technical people involved early on uh, makes a lot of sense, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay. So one other thing that you've mentioned before, and I, I think you have sort of a little... You have a problem with that word is the word platform right and yeah. the, and this idea of having those big things that solve everything um can you talk a little bit more about why you think it's a bad idea to build those those big platform to do those big platform projects yeah well well firstly again you know when you're going to be building software i think it's uh, it's essential that you you know that you step back and think well what am i actually trying to do who am i actually trying to help you know it's it, the only reason we build software is to help users do something You know, <laughs> and I don't, you know, I have never heard an end user, you know, say like a nurse in a, in a nursing home, they, uh, they've never said, oh man, I just wish I had a platform. You know, they, they you know, the end users, they don't need a With platform. a microservices architecture. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They don't Sorry. need these things, you know? So we need to, we need mm -hmm. to focus on what people are actually building. And if what you end up building turns into a platform, then that's fine. You know, but so, but the point is you have to, I think it's very natural for people, you know, if you are in charge of, you know, a whole, you know, portfolio, lots of different applications, you have this, uh, if you're selling software or, you know, or you're buying software or whatever, if you're in charge of lots of stuff, it's very natural for you to think, oh man, wouldn't it be easy if I just had a platform <laughs> where all of this stuff mm -hmm. fit nicely in. But you have to consciously and always try to get out of the mindset of what what's comfortable for you and to focus on what's comfortable for what's useful for the end users and the end users, they don't need that platform, you know, so that's kind of, uh, so I don't necessarily have anything against platforms. It's just that that should not be your end goal. And even Apple, when they set up, when, you know, they have a, you know, huge platform now, right? With the app store and all this kind of stuff, but they didn't start off making, you know, like a platform when they started making the iPhone. And you know, I heard a podcast, um, Anyway, wherever they're talking about the process and their main focus was we need to build a phone that works, you know, that has the necessary require, you know, that has an, enough functionality for people to actually have a working telephone device, which with some cool extra features, you know, and that, and then the platform kind of grew from that, you know, and that's mm -hmm. how you build platforms. So, uh, and, and again, you know, what I've been arguing a lot with uh, when it comes to, you know, public um, healthcare systems is, uh, you know, even as a developer, You know, you don't necessarily need things to be in a platform. What you need is for various parts to have good APIs. You need to make systems that, that you can, you know, the services that have APIs that you can call. And if you take the, the project I'm working on right now, um, we're building a, um, a, just a well, a, a platform, you could call it. <laughs> it's, it's a web application <laughs> <Guilty>. so far. <laughs> no, but it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of a web shop, but it's for a local kind of niche stores that don't have the resources themselves to have a web shop and to put all the effort. So we have this kind of common um, thing so people can get their goods delivered, same day delivery to the local area. So it's it's basically kind of, you know, a platform for for local stores to put their put their wares. Uh, and, and you know, of course, for there we have, we're integrated with Stripe for payment uh, and we have to send emails and we have to send SMSs. So we are integrating with lots of different services, but none of those things are on the same platform, you know? And I think there's mm -hmm. lots of people, especially like business people who are buying software, they think that in order for things to work together, it has to be on the same platform. And that's just not true. And I mean, even if all, even if we had a platform that had payment solutions and email services and SMS services, even if that were on the same platform, there would still be different API calls, right? You know, sending an email mm -hmm. is not the same thing as pay, sending money to someone, you know? So, I mean, even if, you know, well, this, from, this from the ivory tower, it looks yeah. very similar to me. <laughs> yeah, but this is, there are too many people who are way too far removed from the actual coding aspects for making decisions. And they think that mm -hmm. they're helping people, you know, people like me who are, you know, writing the code, they think they're helping me by building these platforms when I don't even need them. You know, who needs them? The user doesn't need them. I don't need them. I mean, like if they evolve naturally, then fine, you know, but again, we have to make sure that there's an actual need for it. 
But it sounds a bit as if it's always management's fault. Is it always management's fault? Isn't it yes. also uh, something? <laughs> okay, okay, done. Thank you. No, is my, I mean, isn't it? Isn't it also sometimes developers or architects who uh, who overcomplicate things and create huge uh, disaster in terms of size and complexity? Definitely, of course. Yes. No. I mean, I think uh, this is a. This is a, yeah, this is a, you know, this is a human issue. You know, we see things from our perspective, you know, and me as a developer and I, you know, I keep, you know, uh, catching myself doing this all the time, you know, that I'm like, the user says something completely sensible that they want. And I'm like, no, because that's going to ruin my code, you know, and that we, uh, we have our own perspective on things. We go to a conference and we learn about this new kind of technology we want to try out. Um, we have these kind of technological visions about how cool it would be if all the systems work together in this or that way. Uh, so yeah, definitely, this is a, not a management issue at all. And I think that everyone, um, everyone involved in building software needs to actively it's like on a daily basis, just slap themselves in the face and go like, "Oi, it's not about you. <laughs> you know, it's about it's about the user. You know, what do the users actually need? You know, it's not about the, mm -hmm. the beautiful code or or the wonderful architectural diagrams or you know or the prestigious big projects. It's about what what what. Why are we doing this? You know, that should be the mm -hmm. purpose. Mm -hmm. Okay, what role does um, size play? How how important and how what kind of effect does, um, you know, the availability of resources, and maybe it's not even size, you know, the resources in terms of people, uh, I shouldn't be using resources to talk about human <laughs> beings, but you know what I mean, yeah. right? We're in the enterprising world after yeah. all, right? So what's the, what's, the, what's the effect of resources, whether they're human or financial or whatever, on, on, on projects? No, uh, yeah, well, I think in every dimension, it's super important that we, you know, that we kind of cut back. You know, you should never, you know, the one of the, you know, the project that I've been ranting about on Twitter a lot, you know, this healthcare project, they've, they've said, we have 10 years and we're going to spend 22 billion knock, uh, you know, and this is a um, complete is disaster in... from the outset. You know, if you should never, if you, if I give you, if I give you 10 billion euros, you know, you're going to be thinking, oh, how do I spend the 10 billion? You know, you're going to spend those 10 billion euros and then come back and ask for more. If I give you 10,000, you know, you're going to have to try to be a bit more clever and focus and prioritize, you know, so we really, you know, for all sorts of reasons, it's super important that we do not just, you know, you know, go ahead with these, uh, you know, the, we start off with these like 10 years and uh, umpteen billion. You have to limit, if you limit time, limit the, the, the budget, and also, again, limit the number of people, you know, people, the more people are involved, the, the, the harder it's going to be to work, you know, the just, you know, Listen to me. I'm chattering on. I have lots of ideas. You know, just the more people like me you have to deal with on a daily basis, <laughs> you're not going to get anything done. People are just going to be <laughs> arguing and talking and trying to trying to figure out what to do instead of just working effectively. So, I mean, it's super important to cut down size in every possible aspect as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So, wh what kinds of ways have you seen being successful in coordinating the work across? across multiple teams. So my, my, my idea would be that if you have a, if you have this huge thing then you could do it with 500 people, or you could decide not to do that, cut it back from 500 to maybe a hundred, but the hundred is still way too much for a team, right? Because a good team size is what, I don't know, seven, eight, 10 people, something like that. Yeah. I, I, so I, if we, you have, so, so let's, let's just assume that, um, somebody has, has allocated way too much budget, like those 10 billion euros or dollars oh. or whatever. They've uh, they've given the project ten years, which is way too much time, um, and they've assigned five hundred people, which is way too many people. So we cut it back, but we can't cut it back to just ten people and half a year because it's too complex for that. I mean, it's not a very it's not a simple thing. It is a complex thing. Maybe it's a healthcare system, which yeah. is hugely complex, or something to do with tax law, or you yeah. know, some complicated life insurance, whatever thing. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Something complicated uh, that has lots of actual complexity, not accidental, not homegrown complexity but actual business domain complexity so let's assume we can cut it cut it down from 500 people to 100 people mm -hmm. and from 10 years to two years um then we're going to have those uh, 100 people not in one team but in many teams how do you coordinate them without doing something that again becomes way too enterprisey and complicated to I get think stuff that done? this is uh, you know obviously not you know it's not a trivial thing but uh, again, if you focus on the end user, I think it's that, that that's, uh, you know, it's not, it doesn't have to be that hard because I mean, the, the software that you are, uh, that you're building, it's going to have to kind of help someone do something, 
you know, and there's mm-hmm. just no user that has needs for a software system that requires, you know, billions, you know, it, it should, it should, if you look at what, a, what a single person actually has to do, uh, and tasks that they have to perform, I think it's, you know, it, it is normally not that hard to find divisions of labor that can kind of focus on actual needs, you know? And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and if you think about this, um, you know, the things that have been massively successful when it comes to, you know, software systems, they're always the smaller ones, you know, like email, you know, sending email is super, you know, it's super simple and limited, you know, it's like a to and a from and a, and a text and a attachments, you know, it's because there's lots more complexity involved, of course, but because it's so limited, it is also way more useful to far more people, you know, and this is just, you know, you need to just uh, break it down into things that people actually need uh, and not worry so much about like, you know, my email client looks nothing like uh, my uh, my IDE for writing software, you know, but that's okay. You know, we need to stop worrying about users having different colored buttons or, you know, so we need to find ways of, of um, you know, <laughs> limiting limiting collaboration between teams, basically. Just, say, hmm. just try to say, like, how can we avoid that these people have to talk to each other? <laughs> how can we avoid, how can we let them work in peace and really develop something that is useful on its own. You know, like again, sending sending messages here or there of a specific type, you know, or, you know, doing some concrete thing. And, um, you know, and in my experience, it's not necessarily that hard to find, you know, reasonably sensible divisions of labor when you look at what the actual needs of the actual users are. It's only when you look at things from the developer's perspective, you know, like the person who's responsible for technological platform or if you look at it from the management's perspective where it's like oh, i'm in charge of all you know everyone uh, working at the council level or you know something like that that's when it becomes complicated if you look at who's actually going to be using what you know then uh, finding sensible divisions of labor is perfectly sensible and again the clue here is we need to find ways of dividing things so that the teams don't have to collaborate all the time you know you have to have you know loosely coupled and highly cohesive team units, you know, that they can deliver functionality without having to coordinate with, with everyone else. I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't have to ask like three other teams, can I release this now? You know, I should be able to work effectively and deliver value without having to, you know, coordinate with everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree. In fact, we've, we've been advocating something quite close to that, right? We've been advocating that each of those teams gets re- release responsibility for a system or a set of systems and doesn't have to collaborate on the same system with other teams because that, of course, means they have to coordinate all the time and yeah. figure out a way to solve the, both problems, both sets of problems in the same system as opposed to having two. So this idea of accepting a certain degree of redundancy, you know, redundant code, redundant data, whatever, in the, in the, with the goal of increasing autonomy, right, is something that I think many people have discovered independently sort of at the same time, because this fact that things don't move fast if you don't do that um, has, been, has become obvious to many people. Um, so I, I agree with that. Um, I was wondering while you were, while you were explaining this, that maybe, maybe it, I don't know whether, whether we could turn this into some diagram, some typical consultant diagram or a law or something. But it seems to me that um, if you want to become more generic, then um, the cost of that is, uh, you know, increases maybe with the square of the, of the, of the increase of gener- generosity that want to do that. So, for example, you could build a text, a text processing program. Like you could build a competitor to Microsoft Word. I don't think you can build a competitor to Word in six months with three people. I mean, there's tons of stuff in there, or maybe Excel or whatever, right? Or a browser or something like that. It's, it's, it's a huge, a huge amount of knowledge and, 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 te- and, and technical expertise and stuff that went into each of those things because they've, there's hugely complex things. And they are very, very widely usable. Almost everybody has a use for one of those things, right? I can use a spreadsheet for basically all 90, 90% of the things that I do with a computer, I could do with a spreadsheet. So it's a very generic piece of thing, but it also cost a shit ton of money. It, it was an ex- incredible investment to do that. And most organizations don't have that kind of money or don't want to throw that kind of money at anything. It doesn't make any sense because they're not building a, a software product for a few hundred million people. They're building something that's being used by, I don't know, maybe maybe a, a 10% of the citizens of this country that is still not the same thing as as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a 
text processor or something like that that would be used by hundreds of millions of people. Right? Absolutely. And also, I mean, I think it's also important to realize, like, how long has Microsoft been working on Excel and Word? Exactly. You know, they've been working on this yeah. for ages, you know? So, I mean, the, yeah. the you know, you're definitely, I mean, there's, uh, there's so much, so much work has gone into that. And I think also we need to, as developers, we need to leverage Excel to a far <laughs> higher degree. That's one of, one of the things that I think can really, really uh, give enormous cost savings and in, in lots of projects is if we just say, you know what, we're going to make a system that solves 90% of your most common problems, you know, 90% we can automate even, you know, we can make this super simple, but then the remaining 10% that are a bit complicated, if we don't have to pull that complexity into what we're making for you, you can still use Excel to solve, you know, to solve those things. And I think that's at least... Mm -hmm as a really good technique to at least, you know, to start off, you know, you don't have to mm -hmm. wait until every possible feature that anyone has imagined is in place. You know, you can start off by solving the most common thing and then let people, if they're already using Excel, you can at least, you know, take that in, uh, in steps. So, you know, first, mm -hmm. the first delivery, you'd still be using Excel for some stuff. The next delivery, okay, even more stuff would be taken out of Excel. But I mean, maybe some things, you know, don't, 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 if that's what they've been using, um, to uh, organize their work, well, maybe we should, you know, at least have that as an option for, you know, not not say, uh, you know, the, you know, if if they need to do some weird and wonderful thing once every five years in Excel, then that's not the end of the world, you know, and and mm -hmm. dragging instead of spending billions dragging that into an already complex the platform, system. huh? Yeah, you know, I know, but it, I mean, it there's should so be much part of the platform, right? <laughs> So there's so many Every decent platform should have a bad re-implementation of <laughs> half of Excel. That's sort of <laughs> okay. So, so um, yeah, I agree. I mean, maybe maybe sometimes we should be. An, I think a colleague of mine wrote an article about that. I can link to that. Um, I think uh, uh, sometimes we should, re as developers or architects or you know technical technical people helping decision makers make good technical decisions, we should be the ones uh, maybe arguing for not building software at all yes, because absolutely. many times it's, it's a very bad idea don't, well don't do that right yes. it's not it's not a good candidate use a google forum you know <laughs> yes yes exactly or yeah. you know that's that's that sounds like a trello board yes. to me yeah exactly. if you ask me that's a trello yeah. board yeah or a wordpress absolutely. installation absolutely so. or yeah. sticky notes okay. you know just don't sticky you know yeah, there yeah, are so like many pen, things pen you paper. do not need software for yeah, yeah completely agree okay <laughs> so Maybe one of the, I mean, while we're, while we're renting, um, I don't think we've talked enough about vendors. What role do vendors play in this whole thing? <laughs> yes. No, I mean, this is a big problem, of course, because, I mean, you have all these, um, all these large, uh, like SAP and whatever uh, uh, organizations who have found out that they can't, you know, they, they can't possibly know the domain of all the various companies in the world. So they, they start thinking, well, what can I sell? <laughs> I need to make something that I can sell no matter what their actual problems are, you know? And basically, so they, they sell just glorified um, uh, uh, programming languages, basically. So that, I mean, it's basically this, this own system where you can kind of configure and um, uh, make, your own, make your own software within the platform, you know? So it's like super configurable. Um, but uh, yeah. anyway, no, I... <laughs> I, some, I don't know what to do, what we can do with them. But I mean, it's just from, from a technical point of view, it's so obvious that what they're, you know, to get them to work, you need an enormous amount of customization to make it fit the domain it's for, right? And I think people just don't realize that customizing software and writing software are very much the same. It's, it's, it's a similar kind of thing, you know? It's like, if you're gonna be customizing it anyway, <laughs> you might as well use the best tools for software customization, which is actually code, like writing code is far more effective than uh, you know, doing the same thing within a platform. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I mean, we've probably all seen those projects where the customization of a piece of standard software was more expensive than we could ever imagine a complete customer specific yeah. Re, or not rewrite, but a customer-specific bespoke custom solution would have been right. If the, yeah. I don't know, the customization project cost a hundred million euros, and say, well, mm -hmm. I can build the whole thing for ten. Yeah. Um, then, uh, then of course that that might be you know just developer arrogance because like not invented here feelings. Yeah. Like I mean, I could do. I mean, how how could they possibly spend this amount of money? I could do it for a tenth of that. Yeah. Every every developer 
or lots of developers will think that way. Well, maybe not everyone, but lots of them. Hmm. Um, so that could be one part of it. Another, another part, another factor I think is the risk part of things, right? That people think it's less risky to go with the standard software. Yeah, but and this is which the thing. I don't think to, is because it's not standard software. I think this is this is the this is the thing with those platforms. So that you know, I'm all for buying standard software. Stuff you can mm -hmm. use off the shelf is fantastic. Anytime you can use something off the shelf, go for it. You should definitely mm -hmm. use off the shelf where you can. Um, but if you are going to, ha if you have to spend millions customizing it, then that is not a software. That is not an off the shelf <laughs> product. You know, you need to just realize that you're not getting off the shelf. You're just buying a very ineffective way of customizing software. It's the most ineffective way of writing software ever. As a uh, so yeah, we need to somehow. I don't think I'm the right person to convince you know management people about this, but somehow we need to get the word out that this is a con. You know, it's a complete con for so many mm -hmm. people. Yeah, so probably there's a there's sort of a breaking point, right? At the at the at a certain level of customization. I mean, obviously a little bit of customization yeah, yeah. is fine because yeah. you'll have to customize everything, right? But there is a certain point where it turns into actual custom development. Yeah. Where, as you say, you get all of the all of the problems associated with that, like uh, you know problems with updates and, and inefficient development tools. And, you know, mm. you, you, you can't find people who know this stuff and you specifically can't find good people who want to know this stuff because the good people don't want to do that kind of work. And, yeah. and you, can't upgrade to, you can't upgrade to yeah. the latest version because your exactly. customizations right. aren't right. compatible with the new version. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, right. So all of those things happen, but they happen um, after a certain point in time. And it's always hard to, uh, you know, in the beginning, find out whether you're in that range or not, right? Because every time you have, a, and I've been to many of those uh, vendor meetings for, for, for our clients, uh, mm -hmm. I've also been involved in making those decisions sometimes for ourselves, for our own company, right? Um, you have to make the decision uh, while you're still completely ignorant of what it is that you need and how well that is actually being handled by that piece of software because the vendor only has one answer that is yes of course yes of course, of course it can do that sure no problem everybody <laughs> yeah. does that and then you start the project and those projects are very hard to do in an agile fashion right mm -hmm. i mean you don't typically do a customization project in in small increments like where you get user feedback after a few weeks that, that's not how they happen they typically happen um with a lot of planning with a lot of like you say the construction work the construction site work, right? The classical project management is a very good match for those kinds of projects. Yeah. And you spend a lot of time thinking of what it is and gathering requirements and then spending all the customization thing. And then you run into that sunk cost fallacy because after all, you've now spent two yeah. years customizing the damn thing. <laughs> so it should better give you some return on investment. Otherwise, you look really bad. Um, so, yeah. So I think there are not many people who actually love their customized standard software. No, um, no, I've never, you know, I've heard of very few. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I think the ones I have heard of have been the managers who ordered it in the first place, and they have every incentive to make it sound, sound great. But um, and user wise, too, it's a complete disaster, typically. Yeah, so maybe maybe we can maybe we can postulate that um, if, if end users are happy with standard software, um, then it's always the kind of standard software that hasn't been customized. So we could we yeah. could test that. Maybe our maybe our listeners can 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 you know yeah, uh, give us that. some feedback on that. Mm -hmm. I would I would I would claim there is awesome standard software mm -hmm. that many people like and love, and they would yeah. much prefer it to whatever custom solution their company has because many individual software solutions, many custom software solutions suck and have a mm -hmm. horrible UI and are you know they they look as if they have been built twenty years ago because they have been built yeah. twenty years ago, <laughs> and you'd much rather be using whatever Google provides or Apple provides or Microsoft provides because it's much nicer and modern and fast mm. and it looks as if it could do the same thing. But I haven't heard, I haven't yet heard anybody say that of one of those enterprise resource planning systems <laughs> or you know supply chain management systems that took two years to customize before they nobody has ever told me that those have sexy UIs and no. that they like using it and prefer to custom solutions. Yep. I'm sure about that. So I want to ask you one other question, which I think is possibly might lead to criticism of everything that we do, which is um, how sure are we that people's lives actually people's lives actually are improved by by software? Yeah, well, that's. I a... mean, do we? Know, I mean, I'm not even saying that people, you know, um, are involved in the in the decision making process about the user interfaces and the way to do things. I'm I'm questioning even if it's like, you know if it's usable and pretty and has a good, good user experience and stuff like that, 
how often do people how often are people actually ask whether their life or that job has improved after this software has been introduced yeah no that, i think this is so important you know like i just saw microsoft are now uh rolling out this like surveillance tool thing as part of their office I, I th 365 I think, uh, thing I think I've just apologized a few hours ago, so this oh. might be old news once this airs, but I don't know. Okay, Whatever. thank I know what goodness. you're talking about, so but maybe, you, know, that maybe kind you of should thing. explain it to the listeners, right? Yeah, maybe so, some have not caught on the debate. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just basically, uh, you know, the part of their Office 365 pack kind of just tells you, you know, range rates you, gives you a score for, like, how productive you are and, you know, how good you are interacting with your colleagues and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's so much software that's being built. That is just, you know, just, you know, from, you know, this is obviously like surveillance uh, stuff, which is uh, problematic. Mm -hmm. But there's so many things that we build that just make people's lives worse, like notifications, you know, that always like, hey, come, come look at my, look at your phone, look at your phone now, look at your phone, keep, you know, paying attention, buy more crap, you know, like tailored, mm -hmm. customized advertising, <laughs> you know, so much of the stuff we build is, yeah, making people's lives way worse. You know, we're selling, you know, selling products. I mean, the, the, Smartest people um, are being uh, headhunted into, you know, marketing and, and financial stuff that, you know, most, you know, very often are not making the world a better place at all. And I really wish that we'd focus more on, you know, why are we even building this? Does this actually, you know, mm -hmm. are we solving a real problem or are we making that problem worse just so some people make money? You know, and I, I really wish that more people would say no to, <laughs> to taking part in projects that are obviously have negative negative social value. Mm -hmm. I think it's, well, it's not an easy decision, but it's kind of, you know, an obvious problem if it's, if you have ethical doubts about the kind of project that you're doing, right? Like, I don't know, maybe you're, maybe you're not a big fan of the military and you're being asked to, you know, write software for some killer drone or something that's kind of, you know, not easy. Maybe it's not obvious for everyone, would be kind of obvious for me, but people have different, different opinions on those things. Um, and I think that is, that's one part. Another part that I found interesting is that um, sometimes you automate things and when you automate them, you very often automate the business process as um, as people want it to be. Specifically, not only managers, I don't want to blame the managers again, right? But the, <laughs> the people responsible for defining how stuff works um, actually uh, uh, mandate this particular process be implemented in a software, right? Yeah. Well, in, in all, in, in, you know, in actual real life, things might be done differently. Like in a doctor's office, the uh, the doctor's assistant might be doing some sort of work that she's not really allowed to do, right? She's maybe, you know, handing out recipes to patients who come in every week because she knows it's perfectly fine. This person gets it every week. You won't codify that. You won't make that part of a piece of software because that would violate a rule. But because you now, because you have now implemented the rule, you don't leave room for exceptions, right? You don't give people the opportunity to do things differently than what's in the rule book. And we've always, everybody has always worked around the rule books, right? Everybody has always done stuff that was not allowed, not strictly, but still somehow okay. And that's kind of a problem because our, our systems don't have, don't typically have that option. And they're, yeah. and if, you know, we couldn't even, if there's, if there's a rule that says, well, this has to be signed off by an actual doctor, can't, can't be signed off by an assistant or a nurse or whatever, mm -hmm. then as a, as a developer, you would actually be doing something wrong if you implemented it differently, right? You have mm -hmm. to implement it in the way that the law says it needs to be done, yeah. even though that doesn't help, actually help yeah. anybody, right? Because the poor person won't get their recipe this week, yeah. even though they need it because yeah. everything's, that's, it's really complicated. I Absolutely. No, and I, I, yeah, I, I think, you know, that's another thing that I think we should be aware of. And that, you know, in many cases, I mean, the right thing to do is, um, you know, instead of preventing someone from doing something, highlighting that it might be problematic, you know, in the cases where, you know, some cases, you know, that's, uh, we can't do that, but, you know, where possible, that should be, that should be, you know, anyway, mm -hmm. let people do the wrong thing, just show them, you know, say, oi, you know, flag this with a big yellow marker and say, hey, are you aware that this thing is not following the standard? You know, that might be a better thing mm -hmm. to do uh, rather than saying, nope, you know, computer says no. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen that sketch, yeah, but anyway, that's that. yeah. <laughs> but this is, uh, yeah. yeah, no, so just, there's nothing worse than computer systems that actually prevent you from doing stuff because their rules might change too, you know? So that's another, mm -hmm. another thing. So if you, if you let people kind of make mistakes, uh, and instead kind of highlight what you believe might be a mistake, then you make it more flexible in case people actually have to override, um, and, right. and whatever. Right. So, um, stuff like that we can right. do. Yeah. 
yeah, and I'm not, I'm not, and I'm not trying to suggest surveillance again, but no. with this, you could actually get gather some feedback as to where, where your yeah. rule doesn't work, right? I mean, yeah. I have implemented this wonderful automated mm. process, but nobody ever uses it because it doesn't work for them. Why do they always take this shortcut? Why do they yeah. always do it by hand? Well, let's, mm. let's watch them. Let's let's figure it out and see. Oh, yeah. that is what we need to yeah, exactly. need to automate, not that. Mm. That would would be very helpful. Yeah. Okay, so. Maybe let's move on to, I mean, we've talked so much about what's bad about those projects, right? Maybe let's talk a bit about what we could do to improve it. And of course, this will relate to what, what we just talked about. Yeah. So what are you, what's your, what's your uh, best advice? How do we go about improving those projects for us? Well, uh, okay. So yeah, there's so many things, uh, but again, we've talked about this, uh, just cutting things up, you know, just, just give up on this idea and that you can have this one unified thing that solves everything, you know? So, uh, just, um, um, talk talk to the you know go, go just break things down to you know which users are we do we want to help you know and uh, then set up a team you know like i don't know five developers some uh, ux people you know and uh and someone and just uh just work with them um have show them show them design ideas implement stuff uh just start straight away talking talking to them and find out how can i deliver value to these people as quickly as possible you know don't 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 mm -hmm. wait you know the, don't have this like oh we mustn't bring you know i think that's another problem is people don't have developers in house and that that kind of leads to them mm -hmm. oh let's wait until we have enough to do before we you know actually start with a development thing we really need to get away from that <laughs> you know to just get technical people on board straight away along with ux and design and whatever uh, but just everyone just Talk to the users, start, you know, start, you sit next to them, sit in their offices when COVID uh, allows, uh, allows hmm. us to. Um, but, uh, but yeah, anyway, just focus on end users, uh, break things, uh, break people into small teams and start straight away. Um, and again, yeah, just set time and for, for business people. They're always wanting like, well, how much will this cost and how long will it take? They're just, just set from the outset. We have, this is our budget for a limited time. You know, limited budgets, limit, uh, limited time, because that focuses you. Because then you are thinking of, okay, well, what can I do within the next six months? Or what can I even do within the next, you know, three months? Or, or just, you know, limit stuff to smaller units. Makes so much sense on in every possible dimension. Um, and, uh, and we mm -hmm. really need to, um, yeah, so uh, but getting, I mean, and this sounds like such a no-brainer. I feel like an idiot, you know, because like, well, why, <laughs> why do I even have to say that? Uh, you know, and this is what, again, from what I mentioned already, this is, of course, how I worked when I first started for startups, because this is the natural and intuitive way of thinking about these things. So it's kind of, you know, sad that for some reason, once things go professional, you know, then, then people go away from what is intuitively right um, from the outset. So, um, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so let me, let me let me follow up on one thing that you said. Um, we're both working for consultancies, right? So we both, our companies, we ourselves make money working for projects like that, right? But you mentioned that people should have their own developers. And in fact, I strongly agree. So I would, I would claim that the number one uh, thing that I would advise if I had anything to say, the public sector um, should do is to get in-house expertise, find a way to pay developers actual competitive salaries and get some actual technical, uh, you know, expertise in-house to make better decisions. Would you yeah. agree with that? No, oh, yeah, I think that's a, you know, that's a, yeah, having your having your own people in-house and know what they're talking about. Not 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 least just so you're capable of hiring the right people. You know, just knowing exactly. who you should get. Yes. You know, <laughs> because I mean, finding the right contractors to help you is going to be a, a lot easier if you already have some kind of technical expertise. You know what to look for. Um, so yeah, no, definitely. And it, and again, this this should make sense to everyone. If what you are building, if what your service, if your service depends on computer systems in any way, shape, or form then compute, writing software is part of your core competency as a company and not having the capacity to, to make your own product, you know, that's crazy, you know? And for I like, especially in the public more. sector, you know, we, there, there's not gonna be a marketplace for implementations of the Norwegian tax code. You know, there's not gonna be a marketplace where they can buy Norwegian tax regulation stuff. This has to be, uh, made by the Norwegian public sector has to own this and we have to have, you know, so, yeah, so that's a no brainer, but it, and actually the, the project I'm on right now, there are no in-house 
developers on at all. And we are, uh, what, how, we're like nine people now. So, I mean, it is possible to have, um, to get people in, but again, we are, we're like 10 people in total. That is the entirety of the project, you know? So I think it's, mm-hmm. you know, getting people, uh, hiring in people, if you don't have, uh, have them on board, that that's fine too, but just don't let them take over completely. You know, you don't want to hire uh, a consultancy and then have them show up on day one with like 10 scrum teams of seven people in each. And, you know, uh, so uh, <laughs> as long as you, um, as long as you can have maintained control of the process, it's, you know, perfectly fine to get an external people, but yeah, have, con- you know, control the, what you are, uh, what you're making and, and mm-hmm. have some idea of, you know, where you should be going with it. So, so in Germany, the public sector has managed to create a market by building the same thing um, many, many, many times, right? Okay. So it's the, the, the federal state and they know the decentralization leads to the fact that everybody makes their own decisions. So everybody hires somebody else to deliver a crappy system. So we've got tons of crappy systems. <laughs> Whatever, I'm, I shouldn't be ranting about that particular aspect. But again, I think the, we, we agree that, and that's, as you said, it's a general rule, right? For, no matter what the organization does, it's not restricted to the public sector. It's restricted yeah. to any organization that does anything that depends on software, which basically is almost everyone. So almost every company, every organization needs this in-house competency, even though we kind of make money because people don't have it. Mm. I guess we would be making money even if they had that capacity. I think some some contractors, some companies, some consultancies who sort of depend on their lack of knowledge would maybe have a problem, but we don't have to worry about that. So that's (laughs) that's fine. Okay, enough of the the self-organization. So um, (laughs) what about the other vendor aspect what about the what about the platform vendors and commercial of the shelf software vendors yeah well, like here again you know I, I guess just if you have your own in-house people who know what development means and what you can, what if they know what's possible to build you know a, a actual software development and once you know what the you know what these platforms can you know can uh, can deliver you know, then, then, you know, I'd feel much safer and that they would take, re- you know, rational choices. Then the problem now, the reason these vendors are able to sell in these systems is because they're selling it to people who have no idea what the alternatives really are. You know, they, they just don't know because there's no, you know, what, again, what I'm selling is basically just don't buy the platform, you know, and that's not a product, you know, so you have someone who sells everything and then you have people who say, no, 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 don't buy everything, you know, and of course, <laughs> Buying, yeah. you know, buying from the guy who says, I can give you everything you want in one platform. That sounds a lot better. So we just, uh, you know, but I guess just education and, and again, having people internally who understand this um, would be, you know, that, that I think that's the only antidote really. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I think this was, this was an awesome conversation. I think we've, we've hit on most of the things that we wanted to talk about. So um, maybe uh, for for some final notes, do you have some resources that you would like to point people to? What are good things to read or check out if people want to find more help or find more rents? So, well, I I've, I've just finished um, seeing like a state, which is an amazing book that I think everyone should read, and it is a uh, it's it is not got there's nothing about software there, and it just shows mm-hmm. how how we as human beings have trouble. Again, you know, the title of the book, Seeing Like a State, is like how, how we struggle trying to implement these huge, you know, projects um, that, that do too much at once. You know, and it goes through everything from like a, a scientific forestry in, uh, I think, Germany in the late 1800s, mm-hmm. where they decided that, oh, we want, you know, organized forests with just uh, spruce trees that are spaced just so and have no other, no other plants around because we don't want any mess. And they're very organized, nice rows of trees. And this worked brilliantly for 20 years. And then the whole, tr- whole forest died, you know, of course, because you need that underlying complexity and all the, compl- you know, it, it, things aren't that simple, you know, and there's, you know, just tons of really interesting examples from all over the place. You know, you have communism, you have a, uh, you know, uh, forced resettlement schemes in Africa. They're, 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 it's a really interesting book about how human beings try and fail again and again in every possible domain when we try to do too much at once. So a super interesting mm-hmm. book, Seeing Like a State. Um, but for more software technical stuff, I recommend um, Accelerate, which is um, mm-hmm. just a book about like uh, how uh, uh, like looking at actual companies out there and, you know, measuring how, how good quality, you know, the quality they're delivering, how fast are they able to work, 
you know, these are real like facts about what works and what does not work about software. And they, and, uh, uh yeah, it's a very interesting book and, um, and it just shows how, um, how to organize things and what, um, yeah, how to work effectively. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I would add one myself, if I may, mm -hmm. which is the the whole work of the of the, um, the British government digital yes. service, yes. which I really like. Um, they've got lots of excellent resources about how they improved government IT, and they I think some of the some of the stuff that they wrote, some of the pages that they have published, some of the open source software that they did, and the open source guides are just fantastic. I read them, and I have, I have a similar feeling that I sometimes have when I listen to your your talks which is ah finally somebody says it right so that is the that's that's a good thing it's it's they they, they improved they actually did quite a few things uh that are kind of similar to what we what we discussed um and uh so we'll, we'll put that in the show notes as well yes oh yeah um, i wholeheartedly support that uh, there's wonderful reading material great. and depressing reading material if you happen to be living yeah, in a country true, that yes. does not have sensible guidelines like they do <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay so christine it was Great talking to you. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, uh, for our listeners, I think it was a very interesting episode. I know it was for me. Thank you very much and have a good day. Thanks for having me. Bye. <laughs> Bye.